On pod. My name is Peyton, and joining me, as he does every week, is my brother Parker. How was your first week without NFL football, man? You know, my week's been kind of long. Um, I'm back to work full-time, seven days a week. Uh, this is actually the earliest pod we've recorded um, so far in our pod adventures. This is the first time we've actually recorded in the morning time. So um, I'm up early. I'm ready to talk sports, and uh, I'm ready to get through this next week as well. One more week closer to football. Yeah, we are going to touch on just a couple of news items. Nothing major happened. I mean, the All-Star Weekend is happening as we currently speak, so uh, that's not really news. But I did want to just first and foremost uh, give our thoughts and prayers to the families that were harmed in the Kansas City parade shootings. Um, just want to keep them in mind uh, going forward. It's it's terrible what happened there, but we just want to extend our condolences to them. I'm sure that you agree with those sentiments, Parker. Uh, hate that something like that had to happen in such a uplifting moment. Uh, do you have any thoughts or anything you want to say regarding that? Um, yeah, I mean, just thoughts and prayers out to all the families, all the people that were injured, hurt, uh, all the people that had to experience that. It's just so sad that it comes to that point for some people. I don't know how you can walk into a crowd of people like that and shoot people that you probably don't even know, and you're just – going out shooting guns a blazing. I, I can't stand seeing stuff like that, especially for a city, you know, like they just want a Super Bowl. Like everyone, everyone there is there to have a good time for, for except for that one guy. Right. And um, it sucks that that one guy ruins it for everybody, but that's going to be a big problem going forward with parades. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, you know, like that hasn't really happened yet. And now it's just the world we live in and you hate to see it. I don't want to sit on it too long. Um, uh, I want this, be more of a positive cog podcast than a negative podcast. But yeah. yeah, thoughts and prayers out to all them, uh, all the Chiefs players and their organization. So let's yeah. get on to some uh let's get on to some football. Yeah, I will say there's one thing I do want to bring up, um, two things relating to the PGA tour event that's happening this weekend, uh the Genesis. We're not gonna know the winner by the time we get done recording this, but two major yeah. things happen. Uh first and foremost, uh Jordan Spieth actually was completely disqualified from the event because he signed an incorrect scorecard. Even more of a bummer is that uh, even though he wasn't playing well and in contention, uh, the sucks. one and only Tiger Woods uh, had to withdraw from the tournament in the second round due to an illness. And it's it's a bummer because this was his first return, first time since playing in the 2023 Masters. And so people, including myself, were excited to see what – not necessarily if he was going to win, but just what he looked like, see what kind of shape he was in because ultimately – this is the type of event that a he enjoys playing in, but b the type of ramp up event that he uses to get himself ready to compete in the Masters and the other majors. Um, so it, it it is a bummer, and you know, just wishing a speedy recovery for Tiger. Hopefully, we can see him compete in the majors coming up. Uh, but that that's really all the main news that I have. Yeah, that that about sums it up. I mean, I've been watching a lot of golf. That you know, this weekend it's obviously Saturday, so tomorrow will be the last day, but it does suck for Spieth. Cause I think Spieth, if I'm not mistaken, is like seven under at the time. Yeah. He, like, he and was, I think he was within the reach. lead. Yeah. The lead was, ten, I think the lead's 10 under, I think it's Cantley that's in the lead yeah. at 10 under. So it sucks for Spieth. Cause Spieth is one of those guys where the last day, like he could pop off. You know, there's not a lot of golfers that are like liable to just 
catch up, catch up on the last right. day. And I think Spieth is like one of those maybe 10 to 15 people that are liable to catch up from a three, four stroke lead on the last right. day. So, but you know, Jordan Spieth will be around, play a lot more golf going forward. So I'm, I'm not too worried about it. He's pretty young. Yeah. I, I think that we can go ahead and shift forward. We are going to have the main part of our show after this, but before we get to that, I do want to go into, I guess you could call it a segment. I don't know. It's, it's really an official segment, but uh, it's going to be called what's trending. And that's only because Parker likes to send me Instagram posts. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through a couple of these that he wanted to chat about and, you know, have, have some debate, have some discussion about, and uh, yeah, let's go ahead and move into that. Parker, what do you have for us? All right. So this is what's trending uh, at the moment. And this has actually been a pretty big one. So um, I'm going to actually show you this on screen. Um, this picture has been everywhere and it's this one right here. It's the Madden cover of 2022 with yeah. Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady. And everyone's saying this is the most elite Madden cover that will ever exist. And to me, I feel like it's a little late in the game for that to be an elite Madden cover because I think Aladdin, a Madden's kind of past its peak. You know what I mean? So yes. I just want to get your opinion. What is like your favorite? Like, do you think that's the, the, the best Madden cover or do you think there's a better one in your opinion? It's going to sound silly, but I think my like part of me says that my most favorite Madden cover is, and I don't remember what year it is, but the Peyton Hillis Madden cover. That's Madden and, 12. Well, you know how many people and, said that? Yeah. And the only reason close. I say that is because I think it's the epitome of the, the fan voting and like not even, well, that too, the Madden curse, definitely that like he had one good year and we never heard from him again. But also, I think it's just funny that that was around the time where they started to open up the fan voting to decide the Madden cover. And it was a, a t sign of the times that, like, the people wanted Peyton Hills for the memes. Even before memes were, like, a thing. <laughs> like, memes were not what they are now uh, in 2024 or even it, – it, it was 2012. This was very, like, first – era of Twitter first, you know, social media was just emerging. So we hadn't gotten into like meme culture and all that stuff. And so the fact that people almost did it as a joke, but then it actually happened is kind of the way, reason why I think it's my favorite. Okay. I, I think that's, that's a fun, I think that's more of like a meme. Like that's like yeah. a, that's my favorite because it's a meme because it's and, like, it's and Peyton if And if I'm correct, I think it came down to like, cause I remember they would, what would happen is Madden would release these like brackets and give updates as to like who was going against each other, who you would have to vote for, for the cover. And if I am correct, I think it was going to be like Peyton Hillis and I want to say it was like, it wasn't Mike Vick it, because it was too late for Mike Vick. I want to say it was like Peyton Manning or something like that, where it was like one of the elite quarterbacks that he was going against. And, and he won. It was like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think mine, if I had to pick like a favorite Madden cover, this was probably the Madden I played the most too. And that was Madden 10. Madden oh, 10. So, okay. So, so that had Troy, that had Troy Palomalu and uh, oh, yeah, Larry Fitzgerald yeah, on yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And that Super Bowl is probably the best Super Bowl. I've, I mean, it's the best one I've seen since I've been watching Super Bowls. And it'll it'll be hard to match up against. Like, I don't see that being – I don't see a better Super Bowl coming in the next few years. I definitely hope so. But I just remember that being such an iconic Super Bowl. A lot of names in that game that are going to be in the Hall of Fame or already are in the Hall of Fame. Right. And um, that Madden cover was just – to me, it was just elite. I mean, it's just Troy Palomalo and Larry Fitzgerald just – 
head to head on the cover. And right. I think that's a better cover than the Peyton or the Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes cover. But I agree. You know, so that that was a, a debate. But there's something else trending I do want to talk about. And this is general in all sports. And I really just want to get your opinion. There's this post here and it asked, it says at the top, what's the hardest thing to achieve in sports? And it has a list. And this is the list here. Hitting for the cycle in baseball, hitting a hole in one in golf, pitching a perfect game, a, achieving a calendar grand slam in tennis, bowling 300 or hitting a 60 plus yard field goal. Oh, it's absolutely a perfect game. You know, that's that's what I'm thinking. I mean, they're all pretty tough. I mean, this is my if it was this is a random person, like if this was just like, hey, any average American, which one are they achieving first of the six? I would probably argue that of the six, it's probably probably a hole in one, right? Probably a hole in one, because I think you that, know, that I is mean, much more luck driven sometimes. Like you could you could hit a a golf ball in the general direction of the hole. And if it like has a good kick or something like See, that, it could just roll in. A lot of the comments said whole comments said hole in one. And I was like, that just doesn't seem right. I mean, I've seen too no. many people hit one that just by luck, you know, like a perfect, it can just, a perfect game is going to be my vote. I think, another, I think one for mine, like a pitching a perfect game. I know there, I think there's only 24 ever. Correct. Um, there's like there's, it's like a very small amount relatively, but I would say comparatively, like, a hard feat in baseball would be hitting for the cycle too. Um, I, I think it would I, probably be between those two. For me. I think it'd be really close between those two because you got to think, man, you got to do it in one game. And which means you have to have at least four hits in one game. Which four and hits alone is, is phenomenal. I mean, it's a good performance, <laughs> right? And you have to record a single, a double, a triple and a home run. <laughs> so right. it's, I feel like that one's really tough too. I mean, yeah, so I just wanted to ask that question. I didn't know if there was one that you might pick differently. I actually picked a perfect game. I looked it up. There's only 24 to ever exist. And I saw a crazy stat that was that was trending, and I'm going to bring it up because it might be my new craziest stat of sports all time. And it's also in baseball, and it's Ichiro Suzuki. So Ichiro in his first 10 at-bats in the MLB, right, in his 10th at-bat, his 10th at-bat, he records a base hit. He gets his third hit in MLB history like in his career in his 10th at bat he's never dropped below 300 after that yeah he is kind of the the unsung hero of the 2000s era of baseball in my it's opinion just, because i i mean i'm not gonna sit here and act like i'm a huge baseball fan i i think i enjoyed baseball a lot more in my 2000s years than i have since i've left high school for instance and ichiro was one of the guys where he was the model of consistency it's it's funny because like culturally speaking he's like the definition of a martial arts master you know it almost like mr miyagi where it's like (laughs) nothing is flashy nothing seems like sexy but whenever you put everything together it's bread and butter yeah it it works every single time i I saw that stat and i was like that's just crazy that his 10th at bat he's he hit 300 you know, he's batting 300 and he never dipped below that after that moment. And he played in the MLB for a while. Like he probably played what 12, 13, 14 seasons. Uh, no, a lot more than that. He played like, I, I, I mean, I might be mistaking. I'm, I'm, I'm even mistaking. I don't know when he retired, but I do remember watching him growing up. He was the Shohei Otani before Shohei Otani came around. 
So for 20, for 20 years, he batted 300 or better, which is, yeah, which is just <laughs> insane, insane. But anyways, we can get on. Um, that's everything that is trending this week. If you want to go ahead and shift into our high school superlatives for the 2023 NFL season, I'm ready. If you are. All right. And at, just like Parker said, we're going to go ahead and move into the main segment of our show this week. And I wanted to do proper superlatives for the NFL season. Now, we're going to kind of describe each one as we go, but it'll make sense in the end, I promise. As you know, there's classic high school superlatives that you get in your yearbook whenever you're – really, usually it's seniors that get the superlatives. So we're going to go through the most, some of the most common superlatives that you see in your senior high school yearbook, and we're going to talk about the players or teams that we think most fit these particular categories or superlatives. And we're going to start off first with a classic. This is going to be the class clown. And with the class clown, I want us to give a team player or coach that simply is just a joke to the league or just somebody who is unserious. All right. Yeah, I'm in class clown. So let's get into it. Peyton, I actually have a it's going to sound crazy because it's the first one, but I do have a, a few names here. Okay. And they're they're all in different ways. So the first one I picked a coach. Okay. And I know this is going to seem real notorious, but it's the coach I watch the most. And it's the guy I see make the most just basic mistakes. And that is Mike McCarthy as my class clown for the year. Um, I really didn't see the Cowboys bringing him back after this season. Um, I thought that we would probably, you know, fire him, get him out of there and bring in somebody new. Uh, the Cowboys are going to give it another go this season. Um, but he made a lot of crucial mistakes. Um, he was bad with simple things like calling timeouts. Uh, he was bad with the challenge flag this year, hardly took it out of his pocket when it could have helped. Um, the, we played the Miami dolphins. We fumble on the one yard line. Uh, we play the Detroit lions. We throw the ball on, th- on second down when the clock's running to run the clock out. Like it was just simple mistakes that he was making. And that's why he's my main class clown. Um, but then I also have a player and that's Kadarius Tony. Kadarius Tony this year was my class clown. Um, I think that he was the biggest meme of the NFL. Um, no one wanted him to play in the Super Bowl. They thought it was just going to be bad luck. And he lost the Chiefs a couple crucial games um, early in the season that they really could have gotten a win just by dropping the ball or ha- literally handing it to the other team after catching it. <laughs> and so that that's why he's my player class clown. And I have one class clown moment. That might be the best class clown moment of the season. And I wrote it down because... It was just that ridiculous. And I think it's Miami versus Denver when they beat Denver 70 to 20. I think that was like the best class clown moment of the season because it was just like they hit 50 and everyone's like, okay, Miami's going to start running the ball. They started running the ball and HN starts scoring, scoring, scoring. Like there was nothing to stop this Miami offense. And they were just pouring it on, pouring it on, pouring it on. And I thought it was hilarious and so did everybody else. So um, that was my class comp moment of the year. Basically, the Dolphins-Broncos game, you just heard yakety sacks over the Miami Dolphins offense running all over the Denver Broncos defense. I get it. Yeah, everyone remembers that game. I mean, everybody had their eyes on it, at least at one point in that game. I got you. I, I do like those choices. I, I had a couple of candidates. Um, I Originally, I actually had Aaron Rodgers as the pick for this, and this is just simply because of the way that he handled his media tour around uh, the different outlets, whether it be the Pat McAfee show 
or, you know, whatever other interviews that he did throughout the year. I, I, I think that the way that he kind of focused everything on himself and the way that he would talk about, oh, I might come back in December, then it, knowing very well that he was never going to come back during the season. I, I think that the way he kind of focused on himself and his comeback versus how the team was doing is it was something that really irked me. And I just, but really the, the person who I think is the class clown for this year is Josh McDaniels. And <laughs> he, he is just a class clown in general for the most part. Um, Josh McDaniels once a, you know, young phenom head coaching candidate who got a job in Denver uh, years ago during the Tebow era and very, very noticeably and historically one of the worst head coaching jobs in NFL history based on the way that he created a culture around that team and a really lack of creating a, cult a good culture around the team uh, back then. He goes back to New England. He then accepts the Indianapolis Colts head coaching job and then pulls out it almost immediately after taking it, going back to New England, leaving the Colts scrambling to find a head coach, which then they ended up hiring Frank Reich. And then last season, he gets hired as the head coach for the Oakland Raiders. Well, Vegas Raiders. And once again, we, we know that this guy is a terrible head coach. And so maybe this is more so, maybe the Raiders are the class clowns in the end, uh, but... Really, it's the matter of his incompetence to lead a team that makes me label him as the class clown. Everybody universally hated this guy on the team. Devontae Adams was very vocal about it. They were, I mean, they were starting Jimmy Garoppolo whenever it was very clear that Jimmy Garoppolo was not taking them anywhere. And it wasn't until uh, Antonio Pierce took over that they finally started uh, Aiden O'Connell, tried to get the rookie some work. And so I, I would vote for... Josh McDaniels as my class clown of the year, just because he got an opportunity that sh he should have never been given as a head coach. And it went exactly how we thought it would, if not worse. Yeah. I, I like that pick. I think Josh McDaniels is a really good pick. I didn't think about that name. You know, whenever you see this, you like, you probably didn't think about Kadarius Tony probably wasn't somebody that came up. In no, but I, that was so, a really good one. So I, Josh, I like so Josh McDaniels wasn't one that I thought about. And I don't, I don't think it's the Raiders that were class clowns because after he left and they got a coach that they actually could get behind, right. they put together a few wins at the end of the season. They actually looked really good. I mean, they beat the Chargers by what, like 60 or 50 points? Yeah. And then they beat the Chiefs uh, late in the yeah. season too. So they actually got their stuff together. I, I think Josh McDaniels was what is, is, was, and will be the problem um, for Vegas if you're talking about the 2023 season. Yeah. The, the next superlative we're going to move on to is best car. And this is more so I put cars because we could talk about a single single player, but I really wanted to talk about offenses as a whole. And, uh, you know, best car in high school, it's like usually a, a Corvette. It's usually like, you know, a Mustang of some sort, a Camaro. A tricked, a tricked out Jeep, uh, something. Yeah. Like it's usually yeah. something really some, nice, right? Something that has, you know, like a lot of horsepower, a lot of, you know, fast. So Flashy. So yep. And I think that that equates to offenses in the NFL these days. And so I want us to go ahead and tell who we think our favorite offense to watch this past year was. My favorite offense this year, this is my number one. I wrote a few teams down. I'm not, I probably won't mention all, all these teams I wrote, but my number one is probably the Detroit lions. Yeah. I would say, you know, they had a really good mixture of, 
uh, pass game. They had a really good run game. Um, that was enjoyable to watch with a double-headed backfield. And then um, they also had a, a little bit of trickery. Uh, they had Sam Laporta as a rookie this year. Jameer Gibbs as a rookie this year. Um, Amon Rawls only been in the year in the league three years. This was his third. Um, so I think they have a young team, and it was just fun to watch. Uh, Jared Goff uh, was actually slinging that thing all year long. Um, so I, I think they were probably the most fun offense to watch. There were two honorable mentions. Um, so that was the Lamborghini, and then here comes your Corvette and your Camaro, and that's. Miami Dolphins and the Dallas Cowboys. I think they were both high-powered offenses this year. I think they both scored a lot of points, and they both looked really flashy. Yes, both teams played a lot of bad teams, but that's what made their offense fun to watch. I think all three of those are worthy candidates, but I actually chose the Lions as well, and for okay. many of the reasons that you said. And I, I think Ben Johnson uh, you know, can be a candidate for best driver, if you will. I think that what he did to scheme guys open, I, I mean, Monroe St. Brown has no problem getting open on his own, but the way that uh, Ben Johnson was able to create so much space by balancing the run game with the pass game and creating gaps in the passing game at, for the likes of San Laporta, for the likes of even Josh Reynolds, like making Josh Reynolds a super reliable, important part of the passing game I respect to Josh Reynolds, but I think that that's more of a product of Ben Johnson's play calling than Josh Reynolds' ability to be an NFL wide receiver. And even later in the year, their ability to incorporate Jameson Williams in key moments and in specific packages to really maximize his skill set as at this current point in time. And the run game, of course. I mean, Jameer Gibbs' emergence over the second half of the season and how they, they really learn to balance and even, I would say, rely on Gibbs more than Montgomery uh, down the stretch. Uh, I, I think that that was very important to their success uh, on the offensive side of the ball. And I think we can go ahead and move forward uh, to the next one. And this is most likely to succeed. It could be player, coach, team. I, I wanted to more so pick a player. But it is a so-called MVP of the year. Maybe not the MVP, because I think that we would both agree with what the NFL had to say and say it was probably Lamar Jackson, but more so a player who led their team to to a place that maybe people did not think that they would get to and performed at their best in the biggest moments. And I, I have a pick for that, but I, I'll go ahead and let you go first with yours. Okay, so most likely to succeed, you, uh, in the show doc and the stuff that we used to prepare for the show, it did say pick your MVP and I picked Patrick Mahomes. Okay. That's, that's my MVP. He's the most valuable player in the NFL. He just showed it in the super bowl. Um, he's everyone kind of knows like, okay, the, he is now the guy, you know, like he's officially the man in the, in the league. But when I read most likely to succeed, I, I think if Patrick Mahomes were to retire today, he would, he would obviously go into the hall of fame still like he's already kind of succeeded. If he were to do, you know, let's say he played five more years, didn't make it to another super bowl retired. He would be a first ballot Hall of Famer. There'd be no question. So I, he's kind of already succeeded in my eyes. I went with CJ Stroud. I think CJ Stroud is my most likely to succeed going forward as far as a young guy in the NFL. Uh, he took his team to the divisional round this year, uh, had an upset in the playoffs, played the Browns, probably the best defense in the NFL. Um, if not a top three, it could be argued. You know, they're in that top three conversation. And CJ Stroud picked him apart. I mean, he he literally picked that team apart, looked really good. Um, he's got a good coach behind him in D'Amico Ryans. He's got a good 
uh, crew around him as far as receivers go. He's got a young, uh, young Nico Collins, a young Tank Dell. Um, you know, he, he's just he's got it kind of going on, and that's who my look most likely to succeed is. I think they have young players on defense, so I guess it's the Texans in general. But I, I chose C.J. Stroud because he will succeed because of who they have around him as well. I I can get with that. I I think the interpretation of what this award is, I think that that works for CJ Stroud. Definitely. And I, my, my pick is I I wanted to really go with somebody who, who kind of was the reason their team was able to succeed in the way it did. And I didn't go with Patrick Holmes. I didn't even go with Lamar Jackson. Um, I, I went with Josh Allen because I think that at, after this year, I think the one thing we might forget is just how amazing Josh Allen played essentially the second half of the season, because during our midseason review, we very much rode off the Bills as a contender for the title, really. And it wasn't until, I guess I would probably say the Eagles game, that people started to realize, oh, wow, Josh Allen is playing some of the best football that he's ever played. And that continued all the way up until the Chiefs game, which I, I would still say that I think Josh Allen played really well in that game. Even though it may not have been the entire year I do think that Josh Allen really put his game together when it mattered the most. And I think that whenever we think about most likely to succeed in a way that also could mean like the most likely to take the next step next year or even in the years coming up. And I it's I don't want to say it like this, but I think that one of these years, Josh Allen is going to get to the Super Bowl. And I think that that that's kind of the way that I interpreted this question. So he's my candidate for this particular award. Superlative, if you will. Josh Allen had a great had a great second half of the season. I completely agree. I think he actually should have won the game against Philly. That's when Philly had kind of started the fall off yeah. um, towards the end of their season. And that was really their defense's fault. I mean, the last drive in overtime to get them down the field to score – it just seemed like there was a really like they were lacking effort on the other side of the ball. So I don't really want to blame that loss on Josh Allen either. So I can see where you're coming from. Some of the losses weren't all on him. They should have beat Denver. They lost to a last time, the game winning field goal. And I agree. I think Josh Allen does have the talent going forward to get to a Super Bowl. And I think this year they figured out a lot because you saw the second half of the season, how much they used Josh's legs and they were using like when they played the Cowboys, I think they threw the ball seven times. And that makes me think that, Stephon Diggs may not be absolutely needed for Josh Allen to succeed either. So maybe they go a different route instead of trying to get a, a star receiver for him, maybe get like a, a good, you know, two person backfield to where they can use a run game heavy. And I think that's where Josh Allen will succeed the most. Yeah. I mean, we even saw guys like Khalil Shakir and Don Kincaid emerge towards the second half of the season and, and become a little bit more trustworthy uh, passing options for him than even Stefan Diggs. Not saying that, I mean, I don't want to crap on Stefan Diggs by any means, still a great receiver, but he is getting older. And um, he does seem to be a little unsettled uh, over the past couple of years with the way that the postseason has gone. But I do want to move on to the next superlative, and that is the most athletic. So usually this would go to like whoever the best player on the football team is or best player on the basketball team. Uh, in this case, I, I just want you to tell us who you think the most impressive player athletically that you saw on the field this year. My, I have two picks for this. My number one is Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill is obviously the fastest. Um, he gets open. He scores a lot of touchdowns. He's a big name. 
Uh, he's with Miami, one of the mo- more high-powered offenses like we had talked about with the best car. And he's just the piece to that team that's just like, wow. Like he's just, he just, it's an, it's an amazing thing to watch. Not very big in size, super fast, good hands, great with route running and just knows how to get open. So that was my most athletic. And I brought a rookie into this conversation and uh, that's Sam Laporta for his position. I think Sam Laporta had a really good season. I think a tight end being a rookie, it's hard to come into the league and, and really make a difference at tight end on your rookie season. Um, A lot of the times they have you blocking more often than not as a rookie. Most teams already have their veteran tight end. You know, usually tight ends don't emerge until three, four, five seasons in um, before they become, you know, where they've mastered their position. They're actually getting the ball on a good bait on a, on a regular basis. And Sam Laporta came in this year and just kind of took off for the tight end position. Kind of just said, Hey guys, I'm here. Mark Andrews, Travis Kelsey, you guys are on your way out and I'll take your spot. Um, and I, I like that about him. So Sam Laporta was my second most athletic. Okay. Uh, I definitely consider Tyree kill for this. Um, but I, I, a lot of these superlatives are going to be offensive. I wanted to give a little bit of love to a defensive guy and some might argue the def- defensive guy of this past season. Uh, and in the NFL would agree because I, I think that my vote goes to miles Garrett defensive player of the year. I, I don't really need to say a lot about what he was able to do this season. Um, it, but the reason why I picked him for this is because, A, he was pretty much healthy the entire season. So, And I think that when he is healthy, he is, I would say, the most athletic of the defensive ends or edges. I don't know about the, the most athletic defensive player in the league, but what he was able to do from an athletic standpoint on the defensive end with how quickly he was able to get to the quarterback and his ability to completely wreck an opponent's pass game and run game, really. He was a pretty good run defender this year as well. What that did for the entire Cleveland Browns offense as a whole for almost the entire year is more so the story that I wanted to be remembered this season because this Cleveland Browns defense was one of the most historically great defenses over like the first two-thirds of the season. they, They did tail off slightly towards the end, but it was not by much. And although the the Browns did not have any postseason success they got to the playoffs which honestly really great achievement for them considering that they were dealing with joe flacco as their starting quarterback for the second half of the season pretty much although he only plays defensive end he was able to essentially create a lot more success for a lot of the guys even on the back end of the defense i mean granted the defensive backs did their job too there were plenty of coverage sacks that the defensive backs had for cleveland but I just wanted to give props to Miles Garrett and essentially being the pillar of that Cleveland Browns defense that I think we need to remember from this season. Yeah, I love that pick, man. And I agree with you. I think Miles Garrett um, disrupts the play a lot more than what you might see. You know, like when it's a pass play and he doesn't get to the quarterback, it doesn't mean he didn't affect the play because the quarterback knows he's coming. Um, you explaining to the, the defensive backs, like the Dallas Cowboys led the league in turnovers, interceptions this year. Um, and they have Micah Parsons and, and Jar. <laughs> I'm just going to start saying that every time you bring up the Cowboys. Yeah. Talk Jar. about another team. Jar. Jar. Well, well it's just, <laughs> uh, you know, you're explaining the fact that like when you have good ed- edge rushers, it helps your corners. And I, I 100% yeah. agree. I mean, the Cowboys have great edge rushers. Our corners aren't great. We Our number one corner was out the whole season. And someone like Deron Band has five pick sixes. So, right. right. Just a, you know what I mean? Like it just kind of, it, it, the proof's in the pudding. 
So yeah, I, I agree with that pick. I like the pick defensively. I like that you went with a defensive guy versus an offensive guy. So um, most athletic, Miles Garrett, congratulations. Yeah. The uh, next superlative that we have is the worst case of senioritis. And a- as you know, senioritis is a real thing. I think that people, especially towards the second half of their high school senior year, are ready for they're kind of ready for it to be over they they're ready to finally move on to the next chapter of their life a little bit some people might be a little worried but uh what this means in terms of the nfl season uh for us is who was the preseason contender that took this season for granted and basically mailed it in towards the second half of the season and um i i think there is a clear winner here and i i think we might have the same answer so go ahead Okay, so I picked a player as kind of like a joke, and then I have a team that really did fall off, and they are the clear front runner, I think, for both of us. Um, but my, my player is Aaron Rodgers, just because they had so much preseason hype. I know he got injured, but they had so much preseason hype coming into it. Um, I, everyone thought, like, I, I remember I predicted the Jets were going to make it to, like, the second round of the playoffs, yeah, I think, did. or something like that. I think but you said the AFC Championship. Maybe, I think Bengals-Jets. Oh, maybe, maybe it was. It, it, it very well could have been. But um, that that was, like, my kind of, like, uh, Aaron Rodgers. You know, I when I see senioritis, I think of maybe one of the, the seniors in the league, one of the older players in the league, somebody that just stopped showing up for class. And that would be Aaron Rodgers to me. Like he just stopped showing up, not necessarily stopped showing up in the building or for the team, but he didn't play a single down of football after the first one of the year, I think. So um, that was mine. And then the Philadelphia Eagles are, are my clear fall off team as far as the second half of the year goes. I mean, they, they were the number one seed in the NFC. They were the best team in the NFL with the best record. They were 10 and one and week going into week 12, they were 10 and one and they ended up as the five seed in the playoffs and they got first rounded by the Bucks, So it's, you know what I mean? It's that, that's the fall off team. It has to be. We, we have the exact same answer. Okay. I thought and so. Precise. And I, I don't know that I remember a collapse recently that was as quick and as detrimental to the team as a whole, as the Eagles had this past season. Uh, it, it was not only the fact that they were losing games that they shouldn't have and, although they did still make the playoffs because they were able to win so early. Um, it it wasn't just that. It was a matter of how public the dysfunction in the locker room and defu- dysfunction amongst the team and the coaching staff was in the media. I mean, the fact that Nick Sirianni had problems with the defensive coordinator situation where I, I forget, Sean Desai, I believe, was the original defensive coordinator. And then they basically demoted him mid-season and pr- quote-unquote, promoted Matt Patricia, which terrible idea. <laughs> so <laughs> I like, I don't know what was going on as far as the, the management of the coaching staff by Sirianni, but not only that, but how that directly led to very, very high tensions in the locker room. And Jason Kelsey, although he was able to somewhat mask it towards the end of the season, it became very apparent that even he, who was one of the leaders on that team, what was even hinting at the kind of dysfunction that was taking place. And so I, I, I think that far and away the winner for this superlative is the Philadelphia Eagles in one of the biggest collapses I've seen in a while. Yeah. And I'm, I'm actually looking at the Eagles schedule cause I haven't seen it in a minute. You know, I just want to go back and refresh myself and yeah, I mean, they lost five of their last six games. And if you saw the names on this list, you'd be like, how'd they lose five, five of them? Like how'd they not win at least two or three because the giants are on this list twice 
the Cardinals are on this list, the Seahawks are on this list, and I mean, you would think that they at least win two of those, right? <laughs> and they didn't. Um, they actually only won one of those games, and that one of those games was the only game they won of their last six game stretch. So, wow. Um, we can go ahead and move forward uh, off of the senioritis, and I'm going to throw this one to you. We have the next superlative, which is most likely to be president. And most likely to be president for us um, was like the best coach kind of thing. Like, you know, who's yeah. the who's the the godfather of the league kind of thing? You know, like who's I, I, who, who's the president? Yeah, I took it as who who did the best coaching job this year. Not necessarily because coach of the year. The award itself is very dependent upon the way the team is structured and and maybe, you know, getting to the playoffs for a team that didn't make the playoffs last year, which I guess in a way that is kind of the way that I went with the award. But I want you to still stick with whatever answer you gave. Um, and I, go ahead and give whatever coach you think did the best job this past year. It was a real tough decision for me. Um, I had a lot of names running through my mind. And mine's going to – I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to say Matt LaFleur. Matt LaFleur Ooh, to me – Okay. Matt, Matt LaFleur to me did really good. He took a team that a lot of people didn't have faith in. I mean, I remember we were thinking – I think their over-under for win totals this year was like seven. I think um, it was seven or eight, yeah. Yeah, and no one really knew what Jordan Love was going to do. And sure enough, Jordan Love came into the playoffs, um, beat the number two seed uh, by a lot of points. The game really wasn't that close. The scoreboard will say different just because of the end of the game, but they dominated that game. He actually went to San Fran. My opinion, San Fran kind of got away with one. I think they should have beat San Francisco, and I think we could have seen Green Bay in the NFC Championship. And from there, you know, you never know what could have happened, but just getting that far with a quarterback that's, yeah, he's been in your system for a while, but it's his first year actually starting. Um, you're, you have a big fall off. You would think from Aaron Rodgers to Jordan love. So a lot of worries there probably for a lot of fans, Aaron Jones, never really healthy. Uh, he's kind of getting older. AJ Dillon hasn't really showed a whole lot of promise as far as being able to take that backfield on by himself. And um, a lot of young receivers, a lot of young pass catchers, and they just made it work. And I want to give give hats off to Matt LaFleur for having a good season with the Green Bay Packers. I'm really glad that that's who you chose because I, I really wanted to pick Matt LaFleur for this award, but I think there was one coach who I think did a little bit better of a job and in a very similar scenario uh, as far as the type of team that they coached. Um, so I'm glad that you talked about Matt LaFleur. I, my pick for this superlative is Sean McVay. And I think that it's very well known that Sean McVay is one of the best coaches in the NFL. Um, but really, I think that after the Super Bowl, and obviously there was some some question as to whether he would retire after last year or not even retire. I, mean, I think it was retirement. He was talking about maybe going up in the booth after last year, uh, or there were rumors of, and he decided to stick around. And I would say that he kind of got his mojo back after a down year. I think that this year showed that he still has it and he is still one of the best coaches in the NFL. And I think that he's just a great team leader. He he was able to take a group, granted they're led by Matt Stafford, who's a great quarterback and Cooper cup, who's a great wide receiver, but he was able to take a group who is the second youngest team in the NFL uh, the only younger team is actually the Packers, which is part of the reason why I am glad you talked about Matt before because of just what they were able to do. And um, 
for me, it's a matter of he was able to get the creativity offensively back that he's always had, but really had kind of a lapse last year in showing the kind of creativity and using his playmakers. Uh, it, he is very responsible for the emergence of Kyron Williams, the emergences of Puka Nakua. Uh, and, and I think that what he was able to do, not only on the offensive side of the ball, but the way that he and Raheem Morris in conjunction with one another, what they were able to do on the defense side of the ball to create a pretty competent defense out of one of the youngest units that I've seen in a while. Of the 53 players, 15 of the 53 players were rookies. And that's just a, a u- unusual amount for a team that was able to get to the playoffs. And it's not only the fact of the number of rookies that they had, but the the certain rookies that and really sophomore players that were impact players for this team, I think that that can be attributed to a lot of Sean McVay's coaching ability. And I, I just want to give him his flowers uh, for this season. And I think that I'm I'm glad that he's not going anywhere because I think he's a incredible coach. Yeah, Sean McVay is a great football mind. Everyone knows that. He's kind of like when he came in to be the head coach and, you know, the Rams were doing their thing, um, you know, they got to a Super Bowl. That's kind of when Sean McVay was taken like super seriously as far as like one of the better, you know, head coaches in the NFL, especially a young guy coming in because he's not. I guess at the time that he came in the NFL, there weren't really a whole lot of young coaches that were doing well. And that was only like, what, six years ago or so? Yeah. And like so, so you see that trend following through when you see um, Mike McDaniel down in Miami kind of doing the same sort of thing, you know, little scrawny white guy just cooking up an NFL offense, which yeah. is uh, it, it's just fun to watch. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with your pick. I think Sean McVay had a great year. A couple of my honorable mentions were like Dan Campbell, but I just – I, I I didn't want to pick Dan Campbell just because I kind of have him down for another another thing. So, okay, and so the next superlative that we have is biggest flirt, and as people know, it's the the person that you know likes to mess with people emotionally and all this other stuff. And it, in this case, it's going to be the team or player that gained your trust and crushed you when it mattered the most. And I have one in particular, but who is yours? It's a very simple answer. I mean, look at who you're talking to, man. It's it's the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> it's it's the Dallas Cowboys and it's Dak Prescott. Because, I mean, this is the year that people are going to forget. Like, Dak Prescott was actually in the MVP talk. Like, he was legitimately. He such a good year. Yeah, he was legitimately in the MVP talk. Um, We had a player that was nominated for Def- Defensive Player of the Year, Michael Parsons. And I think Deron Bland was also talked about in that um, in that conversation. I think he was on the list too for people that could have been defense player of the year. Um, and then you have, I mean, I think the team had eight pro bowlers, um, two of them on your offensive line, which is crucial, two of them on your defensive line. And the Cowboys go out against, obviously, Matt LaFleur, you know, my most likely to be president, um, just destroys them in the first round of the playoffs. And, it, it just that, – that's, I think, to me, the biggest flirt. I mean, everyone really th- – I think a lot of people did think this year, even yourself, you said it. I think the Cowboys did have what it takes to at least get to the NFC Championship on a year where Philadelphia fell apart, on a year where which were – you know, that was really the – it was really the Niners, Philly, and then the Cowboys were the third favorite to win the NFC. 
So the, the one of the main contenders falling off, like I feel like you need to get to that game. The fact that Green Bay and Tampa Bay were in the divisional round instead of Philadelphia and Dallas, I honestly think they're both big disappointments. They're both flirts for that. But I would say the Cowboys are a bigger flirt because they really didn't have a time in the year where they were down bad. Right. That's a really good choice for this award. My Mine is none other than my uh, my 2023 sweetheart, Lamar Jackson. <laughs> um, <laughs> and this is for obvious reasons. I mean, he had the best year, even if it might not be statistically his best year. I think that he had the best year as a true quarterback in his career. And I think that the way that I saw him and this Baltimore Ravens team play down the stretch gave me the confidence to think that they might be the team to be able to overthrow the Kansas City Chiefs. And I mean, it's still very new, so I'm not going to recap it again. But the fact that he had the game that he did against the Chiefs is what makes me disappointed because I, we talked about it a lot, but it's the fact that he did not play like Lamar Jackson in that game. He tried to be a gunslinger the entire time. And I'm not saying, you know, I'm not trying to be like dance monkey, like, you know, go run the ball. I'm not trying to do that. Be like, do the Lamar Jackson thing. But I do think that he later in the game, he got so flustered that he was just forcing passes. And I think that that was not what he was doing all year long. And it was when it mattered the most, he didn't play his game of football is the reason why I chose him for this award. Uh, but we'll go ahead and go into our next uh, superlative. And that's the biggest procrastinator. And that's the team that was the most unprepared for the big test. And I think I know where you're going with this one based on the way that you hinted. So go ahead with your choice. So just for the pod's sake, you know, I was going to go into the Ravens here. That was who I kind of picked. Um, it was the Ravens and their coaching. Um, and I wrote Ravens slash coaching. And I really wanted to specify the fact that what you just kind of went over, like they didn't use Lamar in that Chiefs game like they should have. They didn't really use – like when they played the Niners, they destroyed the Niners. When um, you know when they played the games that mattered, you know, you go look at the season and you look at the teams that they played that were playoff teams, like they were they were putting them away because they were playing the football they needed to play. And they went an opposite way whenever they played Patrick Mahomes for whatever reason, don't know why. Because um, right. I actually do think the Ravens could have beat the Niners or the – the chiefs, if they would have just played their, their style of football and they didn't yeah. So to, to save the pod from more Ravens talk. Um, since you just kind of hit all those points, I'm going to shift and, and, and give a second option. Um, I don't have them written down, but they are on the back of my mind and, and that's the Miami dolphins and to a tug of Aloha. It's a tough one. I, I, I think the Miami dolphins struggled the most this year when it comes to showing up when they need to, as far as winning games and, as far as Tua Tagovailoa goes as a quarterback, I think that he falls short in big moments. Um, he's kind of done that two seasons now of the three or four that he's played. Um, and I think this year was a Miami Dolphins year. Now, don't get me wrong. They lost Bradley Chubb. They lost Jalen Phillips. They lost uh, Javon Holland for a good part of the season. So they were missing like really good defensive pieces going into playoff time. That being said, with, a, with an offense like they have with Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill and Devon Achan and Raheem Mostert, who had the best year of his career, and a young quarterback like Tua, who has a lot of hype around him, I think that offense should be able to put something together to counteract some defensive injuries. Maybe not all of them, but I, I think their high-powered offense should have been able to come away with an extra win or two than what they actually did. So that that's my pick for biggest procrastinator when it comes to the big test. 
they didn't beat any team over 500. Um, and that's, that's, that's my team for biggest procrastinator. I, I like that pick. I think it's important to remember that there was a time where the dolphins were considered an AFC contender. And I think that at, as the year went on, they, they didn't really show that they were, they were worthy of being in that conversation. So, um, my, my pick for this, and you kind of already touched on this. I mean, it's Dallas Cowboys. I, I think that with the way that they just came out, it, it just looked so flat in a home playoff game environment uh, when historically they, they that's been the monkey that they've not been able to get on off of their back is winning playoff games. And it's you know more than anybody that that's something that people bring up all the time whenever they talk down on the Dallas Cowboys. And uh, yeah, I, I don't want to talk about it anymore. I mean, we've talked about it plenty, but I think that the way that they not only defensively just completely fell apart in that game, um, but the way that their offense just completely got out of sync. I mean, passing game looked terrible. I mean, the run game was never really great this season, but if you wanted it to show up one time, you would hope they would show up here to try and give some relief to the fact that they couldn't pass the ball effectively uh, in that Packers game. But yeah, that, that's my pick for this uh, particular superlative. And um, we have two more. Uh, the second to last one is going to be freshman phenom. Now, usually this isn't a typical superlative, but you know, usually they're, they might throw a bone in the yearbook to some of the freshmen and uh, you know, say like, Oh, you know, freshman of the year, like who is it? And this is basically, I wouldn't say, you know, rookie of the year, but who was your favorite rookie to watch this year? <clears throat> so my freshman phenom, I've already given out this guy an award most likely to succeed, which is CJ Stroud. So I'm going to go down the list and I'm going to talk about Puka Nakua for a second, because Puka Nakua for me, um, when it comes to the whole, I, th I think if, if Puka was last year, I, I think he's rookie of the year and it's not a question. Um, I think that he fell into a year where there was a quarterback who was succeeding just as much as he was, um, if not maybe a little bit. You know, it was a little more impressive just because it's the quarterback position. But if he would have done this, uh, uh, you know, in the years prior, um, I think that he would have had a legitimate chance to win rookie of the year or even possibly like offensive player of the year. Um, he had that good of a season as a receiver. So my freshman phenom, my guy that was most fun to watch, my guy that I'm really going to be excited going forward is going to be Puka Nakua for the um, Los Angeles Rams. Yeah, and Puka was actually my choice, but I am going to pivot a little bit. And you kind of already talked about him, but um, my pick is going to be Sam Laporta. And I think that's because more so a as a whole discussion, he, along with a lot of other young tight ends, are the reason why I think there's faith in the future of the tight end position. I think that there, there was some worry about, you know, after Kelsey, after Kittle, after even guys like Hawkinson and Andrews, like once they kind of start aging out, which some of them already have kind of started on that point with, with Kittle and Kelsey specifically, like where, you know, who would kind of grab the torch and be the elites of the elite at the tight end position. And I think the San Laporta has already asserted himself into that discussion with how reliable of a receiver he is, but also how well balanced he is as a tight end as a whole. Um, I think that, the tight end position is the tight end position is in good hands with him going forward and with a lot of these other younger tight ends, but him specifically leading the pack uh, from this past 2023 draft class. So, and then I, I the last superlative that we have 
And, you know, I, I like to end on high notes most of the time, but this is definitely not going to be a high note. This is going to be us just talking crap about maybe, you know, who we think uh, is the most unfit to be in the position that they're in. And this is kind of the same as Class Clown, but it's a little different because it's more so speaking to a coach or somebody like a GM or president of a team or even just a team, like the leadership of a team in general, if you don't know the individual. And uh, it's going to be worst driver. And basically, it's just who do you think did the worst job of managing their team this year? Mine's going to be Nick Sirianni for the Philadelphia Eagles. I, I the, the reason is, is I don't know how you're a head coach in the NFL. Your team's 10 and 1. It should be fairly easy to get these guys fired up. I mean, it should be pretty simple to get your team to rally behind a 10 and 1 start to your season and go into the playoffs guns a-blazing. I'm not saying they I'm not saying they they should have went 15 or 16 and 1, but they could have easily went 13 and 4 or they could have easily went 14 and 3. And instead, they decided to fall apart. And I'm going to blame it on coaching a little bit. I know the players have their own thoughts, but if Dan Campbell starts off with a 10 and 1 lead on the season, Dan Campbell is driving that team to be a, a 15 and 2, a 14 and 3 team, um, in my opinion. And Nick Sirianni didn't do so. So I, I think that's my worst driver. I think that he had a perfect, you know, first half of the season, even going into the second half. I mean, you know, you, ten and one—that's you're you're two thirds through the season at that point. You're you're more than halfway. I mean, he was in first place and then just wrecked the car. Took an hour to make a pit stop, and that's where the other teams caught up, and that's where they messed up. I, I like that pick, and uh, my pick is going to be more so at the top of the food chain for this particular team, and um. It's David Tepper, the owner of the Carolina Panthers. And this is not necessarily just because he threw his beer on a fan at the Jags game after they lost. Mostly because now, now that Dan Snyder is out of the league, I would say that David Tepper is the worst owner in the NFL. And debatable. He, comes from, he comes from debatable, of course, no, Cowboys <laughs> fan, but... but he comes from a lot of money, so he bought the team as trying to prove a point. And this, he's already known to be a very competitive guy and be a very emotionally competitive guy. I mean, the basically, there's a backstory of the fund manager who basically turned him down and didn't give him the promotion he wanted. Once he opened his own hedge fund, he bought that hedge fund manager's old house and just tore it down because he was just that competitive. He he. He has so much emotion behind a lot of his decision-making, and I think that that is already bared out in his decisions that he's made as an owner. He hires Matt Rule, which I, I like Matt Rule coming from Baylor at the time. And I thought that, oh, I think this is going to be a good move. Turns out Matt Rule is definitely a college-only type of head coach. That doesn't work out. He then goes and hires Frank Reich, right? And Frank Reich, retread uh, quarterback whisperer, so to say, as some people think he is. And not only that, but it, the offseason prior to the NFL draft, it's it comes out last year that Frank Reich wanted to draft C.J. Stroud and that it was really David Tepper who was the reason why they drafted Bryce Young. Because, of course, as an owner who is not the football person in the room, he sees Heisman winner, national championship winner. That's all I need to see. And 
it seems like David Tepper was the primary reason why they ended up taking Bryce Young over CJ Stroud. In only, I know it's only one year, but there is a very clear difference between the two players. And I think that the combination of everything of uh, that we've, not only that, but midway through Bryce Young's rookie year, when you need a stabilizing force at the head coaching position to try and get them acclimated to the league, they fire Frank Reich. They bring in Dave Canellis now, who I'm not going to talk about necessarily what is going to happen at this point. But based on what has already happened, I, I would argue that, and I know that you kind of made the Jerry Jones comparison, uh, where Jerry Jones, I know that you think is very involved and too involved in football making and football decisions. And David Tepper is a bad owner for the same reasons. And it's not only that, but I think that uh, I went to a Charlotte game this past year, and a lot of people think that the games are too expensive because of, of for what the product is on the field. Because I believe that they are one of the five most expensive games on average, which for the Panthers, you would not think that. But at least preseason, that was the case. And so I, I just think that David Tepper is not very fit to be an NFL owner. And I, I, I think that Panthers fans would probably agree, especially uh, Josh, who's been on the podcast to air his grievances at times. And I hope that Dave Cannell is going to kind of turn it around. I hope that he can make Bryce Young the quarterback that we saw in college. But I think that really the change that needs to be made is that Tepper needs to be removed as the owner. But that won't happen because that's just – the Washington fans are way too familiar with how this thing goes. And the owner is going to be around a lot longer than you really want him to be. Yeah. And, and the NFL, you know – there's not a way to do it because they own the team, but I wish there was a way to like vote somebody out. Like if you could like impeach an owner, I believe the owners <laughs> have the power to do so, but usually the owners have relationships. Yeah. The like they probably, and so right. It usually doesn't happen. Yeah. No. And I'm, and they probably wouldn't do that out of respect. You know, they're not right. like, and other NFL owners are like, Hey, he's making us look a little better. So let's just not like, right. as long as, the, right. as long as the heat's not on us, let's not, you know, if we right. kick him out, then they got to pick somebody else to go after. So let's right. just let him have it. And we'll just worry. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I mean, I can see why it's so hard in the NFL to get an owner out, but I yeah. think that wraps up all of our superlatives, man. I think we've gone through all of our superlatives for the season. I think we did a really good job kind of rounding up um, all the names we kind of needed to bring up for this year too. Um, I think there were a lot of names that we brought up that people wouldn't have expected us to pick. You know, we picked a lot of uh, pick, but I think they were all really good. I think I think we did a good job picking our superlatives. Is there anything else you would like to go over before we get out of here off this pod this week. The only the only thing I want to note is that we will be doing a mailbag show this upcoming week. So if you are still listening, which we hope you are, uh, if you have anything, it, it could be anything. I don't even care if it's not sports related. Uh, but if you have anything that you want us to discuss on the show, whether it's a single question or if it's a certain topic or whatever, Go ahead and send us a DM on Instagram or on Twitter or on Facebook. Doesn't matter. Just give us your ideas. Give it whatever it is that you want us to talk about. Let us know, and we will probably go through quite a bit of them and uh, just have fun with it. So go ahead and let us know what you want us to talk about next week. And in the meantime, that's all I have for you. Yeah, I, th I think that about wraps it up. The mailbag show should be fun. Um, everyone, go follow our Instagram while you're there. Uh, you can comment. We'll, we'll post something for you guys to comment under, but. If you guys want to comment under any of our posts, I'm sure we'll see it. So, yeah, we appreciate everybody for listening. Um, Peyton, it's always a pleasure. 
uh, talking sports and I uh, can't wait for next week. Yeah. Talk to you soon. All right, man. Peace.